Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Game Devs Quest, your once weekly podcast falling to Game Dev Scrubs into Game Dev. If we can do it, you can too. I'm Rhett, and this week I'm alone in the studios because when uh, me and Taylor were supposed to hook up and do our podcast, I ended up <clears throat> getting kind of sick and ghosting him, so uh, <laughs> I promised him that I would jump into the driver's seat because he's got important things to do. So that's why we're a little late this week. Um, hopefully not too late. We're going to be back tomorrow with a, another brand new episode. So in reality, you're basically just getting a little twofer here. So uh, you're welcome. Just kidding. <laughs> anyways. <coughs> yeah, anyways. Um, so this week has been kind of hectic for Taylor and I both, obviously. Um I'm gearing up kind of for a job change. Taylor's gearing up for a job change and moving into his new house. Um, I've got a vacation coming up here shortly. Um, so there's just lots of moving pieces, and sometimes it uh, doesn't always land quite right. Um, this week, after tomorrow's episode, um, I'm going to be hopping in the car and driving to Yellowstone, so when you hear my voice the following week, it might be magical time powers that um, I wield using the time stone, uh, or just some clever editing gimmicks, or maybe Taylor will be holding it down on his own. I don't know what we're doing yet, but uh, rest assured, there will be an episode. Um, yeah. One thing I kind of wanted to talk I'm just going to jump in. I've, I've got no more small talk for you. Sorry, guys. Um, one thing I was kind of thinking about uh, this week when I was at work, <clears throat> uh, I've been reading this book by Naomi Alderman, and it's called The Power. And, um, you know, some people love it. Some people hate it, I'm finding. Um, I personally am really enjoying the book, and it's kind of a speculative science fiction book in which uh, women are basically given superpowers. Uh, they're given the ability to um, basically, like, shock people. They can, like, shoot electricity out of their bodies and <clears throat> hurt people by touching them or manipulating electric fields, things like that. And uh, naturally, the book sort of asks a question like, you know, what if we just took the power structure that we all know and we just flipped it on its head? And how would we go about doing that in a fun uh, dynamic, enjoyable to read way, um, and so she comes up with you know superpowers essentially, and she explains it very very scientifically, which is kind of fun. Of course, it's all there in the book, so you can go ahead and check that out. But um, so naturally, like women develop superpowers in a world that um, is of course dominated by men. And it sort of follows that to its natural conclusion. You know, what happens when the power dynamics just shifts that drastically in the course of weeks? Um, and, you know, there's good and bad things that come along with it, and it sort of shows that power corrupts and that, uh, you know, violence is never a, a great way to be able to sort of uh, project your will into the world. Um, 
But again, the point I'm getting at is that it, the, the question at the core of it is basically asking us, you know, what if we subvert this structure that we all know, which, you know, I guess in this case, it'd be like the patriarchy, uh, the fact that, you know, men tend to wield power in a greater way than women do usually. Um, and uh, reading this book has really got me to start thinking about this in my own writing and also in game design. And I think we, as artists, really ought to be striving to uh, subvert tropes and expectations in any way we can, as long as we, you know, sort of understand the rules of, uh, of what we're doing and why in a way, uh, or at least have a goal in mind for doing it, not just doing it to do it, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I was reading somebody's blog earlier about um, subverting the mechanics in a game, which to me seems a lot more difficult, and I struggled to come up with any examples off the top of my head, um, except maybe a game that I had seen in a video once uh, called Antichamber, um, where basically, I don't know if you'd necessarily consider that mechanics, though, because I think it's all design elements, where basically, um, you know, just nothing is necessarily what you would expect if you were brought up playing games as we sort of understand them now, right? You fall in a pit, you die, or you come to a fork, you choose left or right, or, um, you know, dumb stuff like that. Um, so I, don't, I guess I don't know if that counts. But anyway, um, the one that I see all the time that comes up in terms of subver subverting plot, and uh, I haven't really played this game. It's in my Steam library. I'm definitely going to now. Um, but it's the game Undertale, and, you know, I've read a lot about this game for a really long time, and... Um, when you start looking into games that are subversive or contrary, Undertale is like chief among all of them in a way. Um, so, you know, in a world where I think nostalgia and expectations drives a lot of what we expect games to be, Undertale lets you play the game as you might expect, and then at the very end of it asks you, eh, did you really need to do this? You know, when the game starts, you know, you basically expect that you've got to fight your way through these hordes of enemies and, uh, you know, kill monsters and clear out these dungeons and everything, um, but as it turns out, there's actually a way to sort of peacefully resolve every conflict uh, in the entire game. Um, and it sort of begs the question, it's like, who is actually the good guy here? Is it you going through <laughs> slaying all these monsters in their homes? Or uh, or is it the monsters who are just trying to defend their monster families, right? Um, I think that's just like an excellent thing to pose, especially in a world that I think we sort of just blindly blindly plug violence into every game that we play, right? We get a game, there's monsters, we just expect that we have to kill them. Why talk to them and sort out our differences, right? Um, you know, and on that topic of, I guess, violence is like a core game mechanic. Like, I think one that really surprised me um, was the game Abzu, which, if you guys haven't seen it, it's that sort of... 
underwater diving exploration game. And I played it without knowing a single thing about it. And I was just so thrilled to beat it and play all the way through it. And there's just no, there's no fighting. And there's scenes where it makes you really think that like you might have to fight or you really think that, you know, that you're in danger, which I don't know, maybe you are. Maybe I was just so good at the game. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, you get through the game and, um, of course the point of the game was to just live this sort of beautiful, sad story and explore this beautiful, uh, oceanscape and to, um, and to experience some beautiful swimming controls. Am I right? Um, you know, the other th- thing that Undertale does that I think is a really, really useful sort of subversion of what we expect is that um, our main character um, meets a character almost right away that is sort of a parody, I guess, of, or maybe, yeah, I think a parody is a good word for it, of tutorial characters in games. Um, and not only that, but, um, she, I think it's explicitly stated early on that she is a mom, um, which you don't see that often in many games. Uh, think through all the games that you've played and how many characters are moms. Uh, not many to the best of my knowledge, right? Like moms are just sort of put in there as placeholders. Like, yeah, like, you know, your mom is there in Pokemon red when you go to start your playthrough but like she's literally just a placeholder she's nothing um i don't know i'd be interested to see if uh you guys have any examples of games where even like a main character how many main characters are moms out there i don't know this is and that's something that uh is actually way more interesting i was just throwing that out there because again it's sort of it's sort of uh is an example of subverting tropes in games. Um, but the more I think about it, like that's actually something I really want to look at. If you guys have any examples of that, um, uh, of any games with important characters who are um, mothers, uh, let us know in the Discord or on Twitter. I think that design and narrative are easily manipulated by this idea that we're talking about that we can manipulate them and subvert them to surprise our players or to you know like make a statement about something uh, things like that but the more that I've thought about it I have a really hard time thinking of a game that does this sort of manipulation with just the key mechanics of a game, uh, the buttons that you press to play. Um, and I, <laughs> the more I think about a way to implement it in a, a game of my own, it just feels super hokey. Like when me and Taylor um, for the Climate Change Game Jam years ago made a game that the point of the game was to not be played. <laughs> Right, it's like this weird avant-garde thing. So I feel like if you mess with the controls too much, again, is that just nostalgia piping up and saying no? This is how we've done it since Super Mario Bros. This is how we've done it 
you know, since Mega Man or whatever game you want to list, Donkey Kong Country. Um, or is there a way to manipulate the controls of a game that actually serves a purpose? I mean, I've seen that done for, you know, small snippets of games, right? Where you flip a switch and all of a sudden gravity is different or your controls are reversed and now you're walking right when you're pressing left or you're crouching when you're jumping or whatever, right? Things like that. Um, and that's kind of an interesting, fun little blip in game play to keep things interesting. But would heavily altering the control scheme or chief mechanics in that way be useful? Chime in on Twitter. I have no answer for that. Uh, I'd be really interested to find out uh, if there is a game that has done this successfully or if we could make a game that does this successfully. That'd be interesting. Uh, I think, yeah, way easier to do it in terms of design or narrative. Um, and you even see people subvert no, you know, inherent structures of music in lots of games. Um, yeah, that's uh, kind of useful, especially like if you're trying to elicit certain emotions and things, you can just toy around with the music in such a way that um, it runs contrary to what you think it's going to be. Uh, I don't know, I can't give any examples all of a sudden, but go watch 8-Bit Music Theory on YouTube. He's got tons of examples of this. Um, but yeah, can we make a game with contrary button mapping or controls or core mechanics, right? Where, like, I'm trying to think if we just look at, like, Super Mario Brothers, like, what would be useful about subverting the idea of jumping on enemies to kill them? Or just killing enemies in general? Could we do that, I think, in Mario Brothers? Like, if we just made a Mario clone, that doesn't make any sense. I'm talking nonsense. All right, hit me up on Twitter and let's talk about this. Or jump into the Discord if uh, if you're not already there. And uh, let's have a conversation about this because it's like one of my favorite ideas now because the power did it so well. I mean, it just, it just asks a simple question. What if the power structure was reversed? And what would that world be like? Um, and I think it's like a really good starting point for a lot of artistic projects. You know, what if it was this way? What if this was reversed? What if that was reversed? Um, granted, that sort of implies that the structure that we're flipping has to be uh, kind of dualistic uh, in nature, which video games aren't necessarily that way. Um, I think Undertale's sort of underlying theme sort of dualistic in that way because it's playing on the idea do we kill these monsters or do we not kill these monsters and pacifism is encouraged highly throughout the game but you're playing a game and you've played games for years and you have to kill the monsters um so that's kind of a dualistic one but um other games aren't obviously going to be that cut and dry anyway uh now that we've beaten that topic to death um i've been uh, doing a lot of writing lately, and I've uh, been doing sort of a weekly meetup with some people, and um, working on a lot of structure-based topics lately. Um, and I got to talking with some people on Twitter <coughs> about you know, popular, um, story structures. And 
you know, I think people are fairly familiar with story structure in general. Um, and I think this applies to game dev, which is why, uh, I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Um, and I can think of a lot of games that utilize a lot of these story structures, or at least you could plug them in to a couple different ones just to see how it would work for yourself. But I think most people know that obviously you generally have like a beginning, middle, and an end. But if your game is epic and sweeping and huge, like sometimes it's not as obvious as that. Um, you know, your game could just be the princess or or prince, it's 2019, is kidnapped and you have to uh, go rescue them, right? Or something like that. Yeah, there is a beginning. And the middle is you play the game, the end is you beat the boss and you win. Um, and, you know, rescue the prince or princess. Um, but obviously, like, again, like I said, if your world is sweeping and huge or your game is sweeping and huge, um, there's obviously more that goes into it than that. Um, and even if you look at like the movie, you know, people like with movies to talk about uh, the three act structure. And I think it's a good way of uh, looking at stuff, but I even feel that it can always be boiled down even more. And so um, one of the uh, structures that I look at a lot is like what JK Rowling uh, uses for Harry Potter, which I think uh, is, I think she just calls it the seven point plot structure. And you'll recognize a lot of the terms obviously are pretty similar to say uh, the hero's journey, right? Which we might've all learned about in school. Um, you know, the, God, what was his name? Joseph Campbell, I think he, you know, sort of coined this hero's journey thing. I, or I think he came from a book he wrote called the hero with a thousand faces or the monomyth or something like that. And he basically posited that, um, all of these types of stories sort of are all the same. And the only thing that's really different is just the characters and setting and things like that. But really they boil down to the same element. So I think you'll see a lot of, um, similarities between the two, but, uh, you know, looking at, I think the way JK Rowling does it, uh, you know, she lays it out pretty good and it's to create tension and things like this. And you can boil it down to span like a whole book in her example, or even down chapter to chapter. Um, or I'm sure I can't think of a corresponding term for games, but, uh, I think like a game like KOTOR executes some of this stuff pretty well. Um, maybe we can see if it, uh, plugs in it or not but like the first point on the seven point structure is the hook and this is obviously like where your uh, protagonist uh, would start off um in harry potter you know he lives under the stairs and he has a sad life um then the next point is the plot turn plot turn number one um and this is the event that uh, that sets the story in motion obviously that's when harry finds out he's a wizard um then the next point is the pinch pinch number one and this is where uh, the protagonist experiences some pressure um they have to use some of their skills or maybe they are now introduced to the antagonist uh i think a good pinch i think pinch number one and mary potter might be considered like when he fights the troll in philosopher's stone right i guess i should have specified i'm talking about philosopher's stone um spoilers haha <laughs> uh he fights the troll in a bathroom <clears throat> and wins 
The next point is the midpoint, and this is when the character stops uh, reacting to everything that's happening around them and starts uh, actually like taking pro acting, pro action, proactive decisions, <laughs> words, right? Um, yeah, I think in Philosopher's Stone, that'd be right around when Harry learns about the Sorcerer's Stone, and he has to make decisions on what he's going to do about it. Um, then, of course, the next one. So we have, of course, just a refresher. We've got the hook. We've got the plot turn, number one. We've got the pinch. We've got the midpoint. Uh, and now we've got the second pinch, and this is where even more pressure is applied to your protagonist, and, you know, this could be their make-or-break moment. Um, you know, uh, da -da -da -da. probably when Harry has to go alone into the dungeon um, to progress onto the Philosopher's Stone. Um, then, of course, the sixth point is the second plot turn. Um, probably, I think, categorizes, I don't know, when they realize that they have what it takes to win, right? Um, in Harry Potter, I would say that's probably when uh, Harry realizes that he has the stone. <laughs> he looks in the mirror and the stone is in his pocket. Um, and then the final point is the resolution, and this is generally the climax, but I guess it doesn't need to be. Um, this is just where everything in your story our narrative has pointed you to. Um, <clears throat> obviously, Harry defeats Voldemort. Spoilers. Uh, it also happens in Book 7. Spoilers. <laughs> Does it? I don't know. I've never read Book 7. A um, couple, couple other easy ones to plug that into would be Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or um, whatever. <clears throat> I think KOTOR uh, really exploits some of these ideas really well. Um, and other story-driven games. I think uh, Baldur's Gate was really good. At a lot of, I guess, a lot of those Bioware games. All those Bioware's and Baldur's Gate. Yeah, it is. I keep confusing the publishers, which I guess I don't know why I'm trying to name stuff. That let's not have this be the podcast where I just don't know anything and stumble over it constantly. <laughs> There's another uh, useful seven-point structure that doesn't necessarily follow the way that Rowling does it, so I'm just going to gloss over it really quick. Um, and uh, I found this one on keepwriting.com, and, and I've seen this one on other places too. I've heard about it on uh, Writing Excuses podcasts and things like that, but the points are almost the same, which I think is important to realize, um, but they're just... Um, sort of realized a little bit differently and you know so if you're one of these people that maybe whatever rallying the way that she kind of words it doesn't work for you maybe this does uh, point number one is the backstory haunts the character and um, on keepwriting.com they use the example of Star Wars which is uh, you know the backstory haunts the main character obviously uh, Luke's father uh, was a Jedi Knight who was killed or something like that right um, the catalyst is number two and this gets the character moving and just going with the continued Star Wars um, example, that's when he's working on R2-D2 and boop, out pops, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi. Although she doesn't say Kenobi. I'm an idiot. Damn it! I'm not a real Star Wars fan. I do this every time. Don't hate me, guys. Um, 
number three, point number three, is the big event changes the character's life. And uh, this is going to be, obviously, when Luke's aunt and uncle are killed. Spoiler warning. Um, it happens. They die really quickly and painfully. Just kidding. I don't know if that's true. Why did I say that? I'm a horrible person. Uh, the next point is uh, the midpoint. And this is going to be described as the point of no return. Right? Uh, I think we can. I think a good point of no return is when they get tracked or beamed onto the Death Star. Um, then you got the crisis, which is similar, of course, to the way J.K. Rowling was talking about it. Uh, this is the low point, or the event that forces the key decision to lead to your story's end. Um, and that's going to be when Obi-Wan dies. Hashtag spoiler alert. <laughs> Lots of them today. Um, and then, of course, there's the climax, and that's the big showdown uh, where they fight the Death Star. That's only point number six. Point number seven is the realization. And I think it's safe to say that the realization is the awesome ceremony that we get at the very end. And they get medals, and they're big, bad, awesome heroes. Um, so, you know, I think you can see how in a little bit more of a narrative-heavy game how some of these things could be used. Um, and just because uh, I like to think I'm a big Dan Harmon fan because of Rick Morty and Community, um, he did a presentation a while ago um, on his, what he calls the story circle. And it's basically the same thing. And he divides the circle... Uh, I think in eight slices, just cut it in half, one, two, three, four times. Um, and then he paces it out. And, um, you know, you can Google this because it's almost the same thing. And it, and it looks a lot more like the hero's journey. This idea that once they cross, you know, the line horizontal, they are like entering the special world, right? And, um, when they cross back, they are returning changed, um, you know, with the, the object of power that they need to overcome. But it's interesting just because this is what he does to write episodes of Community. Uh, this is what he does to write, uh, to help write, rather, uh, Rick and Morty episodes. Um, and, you know, it clearly works for him. Uh, he's a pretty great, uh, pretty great writer. But I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that everything can be reduced. Um, of course, you know, you can do these seven points, or you can do the story circle for, like, each chapter or each scene if you wanted, and it's just going to be a way of, like, ensuring that you're getting forward motion, that there is a chain of your character or characters wanting something and, and either being denied it or being granted it. And that's, I think, the biggest reduction that you can do is to just break everything into two... Uh, pieces of con uh, basically a single conflict, right? Um, piece A is character wants something. Piece B is they get it or they're denied it. And then you can keep going back and forth. What do they, what do they do with that now? So if you go onward again to the next scene, part A, they want something. Well, if they didn't get what they wanted, maybe they still want that, but now they have to come up with another plan to get it. And then part B, again, do they get it or they denied it? back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, you can break apart like any literature that you're reading into, into these two pieces. Basically, they want something, do they get it? What do they do when they get it? Obviously, they're, it's, what they want is going to change. Um, it's a really, really easy way to break down scenes or even to like break down dialogue or 
um, you know, oh God, who is I was reading some dialogue writer for some big AAA game. I can't remember to save my life. If I can find the link, I'll throw it in there. But um, basically, how he breaks it all down into that single core conflict. Every every piece of dialogue that this person writes um, for the games that they're working on, he breaks it down to that single conflict. Uh, character wants something, and there's generally going to be something in the way. Or if it's a dialogue between two characters. Um, you know, maybe the other character is the obstacle, um, things like that. Um, and you can do this on a micro scale or a macro scale. Uh, obviously, um, this would be pretty easily defined as like a two act structure. And if it works really small, uh, the obvious example of it working in a big scale is theater, which is almost always broken into an act one and an act two. Uh, where they have to like you know rebuild the tension and all that sort of stuff, um, but again, it's always driven by that core conflict. I'm at the risk of beating a dead horse here, but I think in uh, Super Mario, uh, you can kind of break down each level into this. You know, what do you want to do? You want to get to the end. What happens if you don't? Well, you keep trying. You try a new strategy. You do this until it works. Um, and then hopefully what you want is to get to the end of the next level or something like that. I don't know, that's a really reductionist uh, way of looking at that, but um, again, I think it, I think it applies. Um, what gets really fun is when um, you are listening to music, and a lot of pop music obviously has like a pretty rigid structure, um, but there's other styles of music that you can get into that uh, music theorists describe the um, structure of it as like a narrative arc. You know, it tells a story in a way. And some of them you can almost apply. My music theory teacher did this when I was in college, and <laughs> I always thought it was kind of pretentious, but it's kind of funny that if you take some story structures like the hero's journey, you can sort of follow the arc with the music. Um, not that it, obviously it's very, very subjective. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, just obviously the, what you're hearing is going to impact you differently no matter what. And if it's telling the same story or not, it's kind of, kind of hokey. Uh, I don't really know if it apply to everybody, but it's a fun exercise, I think. Um, and you can always, uh, um, you know, learn a new way to look at something, which is always kind of fun. Um, I think in a lot of games, uh, even just like small indie titles, I think the story structure applies, uh, a sp uh, well, maybe like the seven-point story structure, for example, or or Harmon's story circle, which is close. I think it had, it's almost the same as the hero's journey and the seven point thing is just uses different language. Um, but I think it applies really early on when you're learning the game and it's almost a way that you, um, I think inherently kind of reverse engineer the game and go through the tutorial and all these things. It almost follows, um, you know, this structure, right? Like if you look at Harmon's thing, uh, you're in your zone of comfort. Yeah. You turn on the game, you play games, right? Um, and number two, you want something. And that's going to generally be uh, figuring out the controls, figuring out how to get going, jumping in. Um, and then the game, as you progress, it's going to put you into an unfamiliar situation. It's going to introduce you to you new mechanics uh, that are going to be vital for you 
uh, to learn to play the game. And of course, you are going to adapt to it. And you are going to figure out the controls, figure out the new mechanics that they're introducing to you, figure out how to progress in the game, uh, get to the next level, whatever it might be. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, I, I'm having a really hard time seeing how uh, point number six on the Harmon Story Circle applies to learning a game, but uh, pay a heavy price for it. Uh, so you're getting what you want, which is to learn to play the game and progress, but you're going to pay a heavy price for it, which is the game's hard. And it's challenging, right? I'm thinking of FTL in this example. I don't know what you guys are thinking of. Um, so FTL definitely, that one works. Um, and then step number seven is you're going to return to a familiar situation. And that's probably going to be because you couldn't even get through the third zone in FTL. Um, and you're going back to the beginning uh, with new, maybe a new ship loadout or something. I don't know. But you've changed, you've learned how the game works, you've got new knowledge that you didn't have before, um, I think especially applicable to roguelikes in that way where, uh, you know, FTL especially, where you might figure out how you can unlock a new ship design or get a new character, something like that, and now you know what you gotta do to go out there and do it. Um, and then the story circle just keeps going and going and going and going. Uh, even though, like, FTL, like, very clearly has a little bit of a narrative uh, plugged into it that's, you know, fun and engaging. I, you can apply it to uh, learning the ins and outs of that game, too. So it might be something like a fun little project to sort of deconstruct maybe your own tutorials uh, this way. Um, I don't know if that'd be any use or not. Um, I just really wanted to talk about uh, story structure today because uh, uh, hitting some people up on Twitter about seven-point structure and things like that, um, and I couldn't find the episode of Writing Excuses, so I'm going to do it. Not that I went into it too much, because uh, you can just Google it all, and you can plug it into almost any movie or book or game and see where all the big beats are. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I'm at about 35 minutes right now, and I had a good time talking with you about subverting troops and expectations, and again, I want to invite you, hop on the Discord and have a chat with me about uh, a game that does this with uh, button mapping or mechanics or something that is not... Uh, narrative-based or design-based. Um, I guess that is technically designed, but you know what I mean. Um, and then also, uh, if you guys have anything to say about story structure, maybe you disagree that it can't be distilled down into an A and B two-act structure every single thing. Uh, you want to yell at me about it. Uh, or you think that uh, J.K. Rowling's seven-point structure sucks. Uh, come tell me all about it. I'll listen. Anyways, um, yeah, hey, all of the links that you're going to need for anything is going to be over at that gamedevsquest.com. Um, hit that up. Find us on Twitter. Come join our Discord. Um, you can find uh, some cool stuff over at humblebundle.com. And if you use our link, you can uh, financially support us by buying yourself some cool stuff. It doesn't cost you anything extra. That's bit.ly forward slash gdq hyphen humble. Um, and there's lots of cool book bundles on there right now. Uh, things like that, so go take a look. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you guys tomorrow when Taylor's back. Bye. Cue down music.